If you have a Bible uh, tonight, uh, turn with me to the book of Judges. Let's go to chapter 15 and then chapter 16. Uh, Samson, uh, the Philistines, and the woman Delilah. That's what we're going to look at here tonight. Now, we know that uh, Samson, Samson's been born, obviously. Uh, there was this period last week. Uh, his, his mom and even his dad, they were just frustrated because no children. And remember, we spoke about uh, the Hebrew mom. She, very important to her to have children. And so uh, we know that Manoah uh, was also just supportive of her. Uh, you don't find her name, uh, Samson's mom, but I, I looked it up in some of the historical writings, and I'm going to give it to you. Uh, I, most likely I'm going to mispronounce it. I'm going to spell it for you. Uh, her name is H-T-Z-L-E-L-P-O-N-I. And so you can pronounce it on your own. Uh, her name means shade upon me. Uh, remember that uh, she's without child. The angel of the Lord, the angel of God appeared to her and said she was to ra raise a child and to call him Samson. Uh, he would to be raised as a Nazarite. If you didn't take the note last week in Numbers chapter 6, uh, the strict order of a Nazarite vow. And uh, he takes this vow. The parents do for him. But obviously, he begins to waver. He begins to go off. And yet, God calls him back and uses him. But it took for him to lose his eyesight. And so, we, we believe that John the Baptist was also a Nazarite. And there were many other uh, of those in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Very strict. Go back and study that. And so, let's begin here in Judges chapter 15. And the caption in my Bible here says, uh, Samson defeats the Philistines. Now, he's going to get very angry here. Uh, the wife that he wanted, uh, they, he, he discarded her, but now he comes for her. And remember that he paid a dowry for her. But uh, dad had another purpose and another reason. And so Judges 15, look at verse 1. After a while, in the time of the wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. And he said, let me go into my wife, into her room, into her chamber, some of you might have in your translation. Uh, but her father would not permit it for him to go in. Now remember, Samson is angry. Because last week, uh, we know that his wife revealed the riddle. There was this riddle concerning the lion and the honey and uh, the the riddle was exposed when they went to Samson's uh, wife-to-be. And so we found that in Judges chapter 14, verse 18. Some of you really like this. If you had not plowed with my heifer, and that's the wife-to-be, you would not have solved the riddle. And the riddle, uh, what he had to do is pay 30 garments, uh, two pieces each. And uh, it left him very angry. And so now he comes back and he wants to re regroup with his wife, but dad's not allowing it. Look at verse 3. Uh, her father said, or verse 2, her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Uh, therefore, I gave her to your companion. It's not her younger Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. And so listen to the offer from dad now. 
But Samson said to them, the time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. He's angry. Or let's go another issue. Yes, he's angry, but is it a pride thing? And I think we need to be careful with that, not just the men, but the women also. Pride can so easily set in, and you're going to see that in this man. Because he knew he, knew he was a, a Nazarite, and he knew that the vows were given to him. And he also knows that God's given him strength. And so he takes advantage of that. That's what I see. Now, let's continue here in verse 4. Then Samson went and he caught uh, 300 foxes. Some of your translations might say jackals. And he took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail, and he put a torch between each pair of the tails. Now, we know that Samson's a strong man. We know that obviously he's quick. He's a clever hunter. But in order to get 300 foxes or 300 jackals, I believe he had to have help. Either way, I want you to see what he's going to do here. Uh, he's angry, and he's going to light the tails of these guys. And, uh, well, there's going to be a, a torch in between there. Let's not say he's lighting the jackals and, and the foxes. Now, some of you that are old enough, back in the day, and now I didn't do it, okay, so don't blame me. But they used to take a string, tie it on a, on a cat, and then, uh, you know, I, I never put, we actually put firecrackers. And it was fun to watch the poor cat run crazy. Now, don't be telling the PETA people because they'll be coming after me. But I want you to see the picture of this. Because in verse 5 it says, when he had set the torches on fire, he lit the foxes, uh, let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines, and he burned up both the, sh the stocks and the, trading, the standing grain, and he says, as well as the vineyards and the olive groves. Now, 300 of these guys tied together, running amok because of the, the fire behind them. Can you imagine everything's burning up? And the Philistines are not going to be happy about this. Notice verse 6, when the Philistines said, who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite. Remember that the dad was, he was from the city of Timnah. Because he had taken his wife and given it to his companion. And so the Philistines came up and they burned her and her father with fire. This is the, uh, just the cruelty that they did in the times of the Old Testament. And remember, these are heathens. These are Philistines. But they're getting back to Samson. In verse 7, Samson said to them, Since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will cease. I mean, he told them upright, I'm going to judge you because of what you've done. And notice how he attacks them. And so he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. Then he went down and he dwelt in the cliff of the rock of Etam. This cliff, this hip and, and thigh, I mean, he, he did a number on them. That's what it's saying. He went after the juggler vein, if you may. In verse 9, it says, Now the Philistines went up, encamped in Judah, and deployed themselves against Lehi. Now, Lehi was the hill country uh, of Judah. And I want you to see the name because he's going to use a jawbone. 
And that's exactly what Lehi means in the Hebrew. It means a jawbone. And the men of Judah said in verse 10, Why have you come up against us? So they answered, We have come up to answer, to arrest Samson, uh, to do him, to him as he has done to us. And so an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cliff of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? Remember, at this time, Israel is in a backslidden stage. They've done this about seven times we mentioned last week. And so God was going to bring judgment on them also. He says, What is this that you have done? And he said to them, as they did to me, this is Samson, so I have done to them. And yet they're trying to blame Samson. And yet, what about the sin nature? We're always quick to try to blame somebody. But what about the sin nature? But they said to him in verse 12, We have come down to arrest you, that you may deliver, uh, we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. Then Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. Interesting. Samson's expecting to get arrested now, but he says, don't you kill me. Don't you let them kill me. And notice that they spoke to him in verse 13 saying, no, we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand, and we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two strong ropes, and they brought him up from the rock. Now, when I first read this, we know he's going to be breaking the bands of anything that she tries later. But here they put two new ropes on him. Like if they used an old rope, it's not going to work. Well, Samson, remember, when the Lord came upon him, the Spirit of the Lord would come upon him. His strength would be there. And we're going to see that. In verse 14, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire. And his bonds broke loose uh, from his hands. Uh, flax, obviously, is a weaker substance. But they're speaking about flax that's already been charred. And so, I mean, he just broke these ropes. They're supposed to be new ropes, supposed to be tough. And yet uh, there was nothing there to hold them back. And so remember the, the word Lehi. In verse 15, he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. He reached out his hand, and he took it, and he killed thousand men with it. Now he's angry. He is frustrated. He's angry. But also his pride has been touched. And he doesn't like that. And so he's going to get his revenge uh, one way or the other. And so it's amazing to me how God allows these things, but he has a purpose. He has a reason. And he's going to take away Samson's strength later, but then he gives it back. That's the grace of God. Notice now verse 16, then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain 1,000 men. And so it was when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hand and he called that place Ramath Leha, 
The meaning is the high place of the area of the jawbone. And so there was a great victory there. And again, Samson meant business. But again, let's go back to uh, his wife gave uh, the riddle, and, and basically uh, he had to get the 30 pieces of garment. There was two pieces to each. And so that's frustrated him. But they came and they threatened his wife. And now he comes back for her, and dad says, no, but you can have the younger daughter. And so he is so frustrated, and then uh, he takes it out of these 1,000 guys. Notice verse 18. Then he became very thirsty after wiping out 1,000 guys, obviously. And so he cried out to the Lord, and he said, You have given this great a deliverance by the hand of your servant. And now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? That's speaking about of the Philistines. As I came to this passage, I thought about Samson. The Spirit of the Lord has come upon him. God has given him the victory. But how quick, and, and I put myself in that same place. God does a, a work in our lives. God does a miracle, a sign, a wonder. And then, you know, we don't think he can do it again. He's thirsty. Why isn't he trusting God? Obviously, God gave him the strength, and he took a jawbone of a donkey and destroyed a thousand men. I want you to mark the proverb. You all know it. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, the proverb says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he's going to direct your path. I can honestly say after uh, all the years of ministry, all the years of being in, in Christ, you're going to come up to that place where you're going to say, Well, Lord, what are you doing? And that trust isn't there for that moment, for that time, for that space. And you get back into the Word. And maybe this proverb comes up to you. Okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you. There's no water. I am very thirsty. And yet God understands it. And God takes it, uh, you know, he takes it to, to Samson. He's going to bring forth the water. Uh, the same situation happened with Moses and the children of Israel. God had constantly provided for them. If God provided for you last week, you don't think he's going to provide for you this week? But we're so quick to forget. And then fear can so easily set in. Am I going to die here? That's what Samson been saying. He's very thirsty. And so in, in verse 19, God heard his, his cry. And so God split the hollow uh, place that is in Lehi. And water came forth. And he drank it. And, and his spirit returned. He revived. Therefore, he called its name in Hakore, which is Lehi, uh, which is in Lehi to this day. Spring of the collar. That's what it's called. I want you to think in your own mind, in your own heart, the times that God has done for you, the times that God has done for me. Uh, the things that he's done in this ministry. And, and everybody's gung-ho. But all of a sudden, I come up to another situation, 
And it just seems like God is not there. And I've heard it before by Christians. I just don't feel God, Pastor Bob. The Bible doesn't say anything about feeling God. But we walk by faith. Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it this time. But I'm going to trust you. I'm just going to trust you, Lord. And so Samson's looking around. There's no water to drink. And so he cries out to the Lord. And now God has provided the water. And again, it's interesting <laughs> that he, he calls the place exactly, uh, you know, the spring of the collar. Uh, look at verse 20. And he judged Israel, listen, for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Now, uh, Samson was a good judge, but then there was failure too. His flesh would get in the way. And I think all of us fall trapped to that. We do so many good things that God calls us to do. And then we fall short one day. And I thank God for his grace, his unmerited favor. And so here he is, judging for 20 years. Now, we estimate that he's the 12th judge. There are those that... Uh, consider 13 judges because of Deborah and Barak. Uh, they put them uh, separate, and then some people put them together. I, I see Barak as he was the captain uh, to Deborah. And so it's important here. Now, we see Samson do good, I believe, in Judges 15. He didn't get what he wanted, but now he really fails. As we come into Judges chapter 16, and we know the story of Samson and Delilah. Uh, again, Samson's name, uh, some of the scholars say in the Hebrew it means like the sun, S-U-N, or a little sun, S-U-N. But listen to Delilah. In the Hebrew, her name means languishing one. I thought that was interesting. In verse 1, we begin Judges chapter 16. Now, Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there, and went into her. And I looked at that as I was studying it this afternoon. What happened to the Nazarite vow? What happened to Numbers uh, chapter 6, where you, your mom took that vow for you? Uh, since you were a child, no razor uh, shall uh, go to his head. And, and he wasn't even supposed to have any kind of wine, not even raisins or grapes. Interesting. Now, the Nazarite vow had meant to be separated from the things of the world and consecrated to God. Basically, that's what the Lord calls us to be. We're to be separated from the world and consecrated to God. And so here's Samson. What business does he have with a harlot? Is he still angry? Is he, is he taking it out? And his anger, that doesn't, uh, you know, the point to go sin. And so the word Gaza is a, means a stronghold. It was a major uh, city in the south of Canaan. Uh, and it was a known place for the cavern, uh, the caravans, that is, in the route as they would come by. And so it was something notable. And so in verse 2, when the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, uh, they surrounded the place and they lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night. 
these guys taking a lot of guts because I'm sure by now they've heard about Samson. As saying, in the morning when it is daylight, we will kill him. Now, news travels fast, and especially in these days. They didn't have, you know, the, the news that we have, the capabilities. And so as the caverns came, came by, the caravans, that is, they would obviously tell these stories back and forth. And the fame of Samson has to be there already. He was well known. Look what Samson does again. In verse 3, and Samson lay low till midnight, and he arose at midnight, uh, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and, and the two gateposts, and he pulled them up, a uh, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders, and he carried them uh, to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Now, if you do the, the math here and you look at the geographics, he carried these gates about 25 miles. Remember, when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, he's got strength, incredible strength. And the gates of the city would not be something small. And not only the gates of the city, but the post also. And so this had gotten had to have gotten a hold of the enemies and say, whoa, are we sure we want to fight this guy? Notice now. And so... There has to be great fear there. I wrote that down. In verse 4, afterward, it happened that he, he loved the woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Delilah. This place called Sorek is the place of the choice vine. It's the valley of, in Palestine there. But what's he doing with this woman? And he literally becomes infatuated by it. And when you go through the Proverbs, Solomon wrote uh, 3,005 Proverbs. We have 31. 31. I find it interesting that all the talk that he, or all the Proverbs that he wrote that pertain to warning against women. And yet he himself, 300 wives, 700 concubines. What is he doing? And it got him in a heap of trouble, didn't it? Notice now. In verse 5, And the lords of the Philistines, they came up to her, and they said to her, We want you to entice him, speaking of Samson, and find out where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and every one of us will give you. Listen to the, uh, the coinage here. 1,100 pieces of silver. Each one. How much money? I don't know, but it has to be quite a bit. And so Delilah said to Samson, Please, uh, tell me where your great strength lies and what you may be bound uh, to afflict you. I don't know about you guys, but I could just see Delilah's eyelashes going up and down. And, you know, perfume is flying and smiles and rouge. I mean, she's got it all together. She's going to trap this guy. And men, he's going to fall for it. He's going to fall for it. Notice now, 1,100 pieces of silver they're offering. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me. And so she's playing on him. 
And he says, tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. And Samson said to her, and he begins to toy with her. If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, he says, uh, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Samson knew that he wasn't like any other man. Guys, I hope, and ladies too, I hope you know you're not like another man. You're not like another woman. You're born again of the Holy Spirit. You're sanctified. You're set apart. You belong to God. And this was Samson, but I believe he's talking about his strength, his own strength again. And yet God had a plan that he was going to use this man. Notice that it says, and be like any other man. She is so foolish. She's going to do anything in her power. She wants the money now. Uh, and he is so full of pride. 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 Is he showing off? Is it pride? What about sin? What's he doing with a harlot? He had no business. You know the Proverbs, it covers quite a few of them. I'm just going to give you this one. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction. Pride goes before destruction. And when you look at the word pride, it means to swell up. It means to inflate. It's talking about your ego. You think you become somebody. You think you're untouchable. Oh, the enemy's not going to bug me. And when we put that guard down, that's exactly when the enemy is going to come in. And, and if we think ourselves to be somebody, we become inflated with pride. We become a big bag of wind. And the Holy Spirit is the only one that can come and pop that big bag of wind. I always make a reference to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. He came out and he saw mighty Babylon. Look what I have created. What happened to King Nebuchadnezzar? Next thing he finds is that for seven years, he's got claws, he's got feathers on his back, he's eating grass. And people were going by, shaking their head and saying, isn't that mighty king? Now, after, I believe King Nebuchadnezzar repents. I believe we can see him in heaven one day. But it took for God to break him. And sometimes God will take us to that place. He'll break us. Samson's going to be broken, like it or not. And his brokenness, he loses his sight. Here's the strongest guy in the world at the time. And yet, he thought he was better. He said, I'm not like other men. And so the woman is going to jump into this, and she's going to do everything in her power because she wants the money. In verse 8, so the lords of the Philistines brought up to her a seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him. She bound him. I like in Scripture when the number seven comes forth. Um, Chuck Missler, I used to study him quite a bit back in Southern California. And he's got this fatuation, always following the scriptures when it 
pertains to the seven. The seven is always the number of God. The six is generally always the number of man. And so seven, fresh bowstrings. In verse 9, now men were lying in wait, uh, staying with her in the room. And she said to them, to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstring as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. And so the secret of his strength was not yet known. These guys would have been no match for Samson. <laughs> they're hiding. They're right there. But they're clever. They want to make sure that he's bound. Then Delilah, she's going to get hurt now. Then Delilah said to Samson in verse 10, Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now, please tell me that you may be bound with. Tell me. Give me your secret. If you really love me. And so he said to her, if they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Now, he is God's man. God wants to use him, and he is going to be used by God in spite of his failure. And still, he's playing games with this woman. And he's eventually, obviously, going to give in to her. In verse 12, therefore, Delilah took new ropes, bound him with, uh, him with them, and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And now men were lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off his arms like thread. Just giving you the description, he just popped them off. And as I was coming to this portion, because I've studied Samson, you guys all know the story of Samson. He was taking advantage, listen, of the gift that God had given him. And I want to share this with you. Uh, never take advantage of the gift that God has given you. Sometimes when guys are in the world and they're good salesmanship, and they win all these awards, and they're very good at manipulation and such, and then uh, they come to saving grace, and they come into the church. And they go back to that same gift that they had that was part of the world. I remember the day when I heard one of Pastor Chuck's uh, studies, and he was talking about salvation, and then he said, for the life of me, I don't know how a politician is going to get to heaven. And obviously, in the size church that they have, there had to have been politicians there. And then he said, after that, and I definitely don't understand how a used car salesman is going to get to heaven. And what was he saying? Because a politician's a liar. And likewise, the used car salesman. Is this car any good? Oh, it was an old lady that brought it in. She drove it once a week. And... Sometimes those tactics, listen, we bring them into the church. It should not be so. It should not be so. And so, was it for his glory or was it for the glory of God? And church, whatever you do, whatever gift God has given you, use it for the glory of God. Use it for the glory of God. 
And Samson, I think, was uh, manipulating now. He's toying with uh, the harlot. And she's falling trapped to it. Look at verse 13 now. Delilah said to Samson, until now, you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head uh, into a web of the loom. And so remember, in Numbers chapter 6, no razor uh, would touch his head. So he had a good head of hair. And so she begins to, you know, do the things that the women do with the hair and turning it around. And, and Samson's becoming the fool here. He's taking advantage of, but he's also toying with her. He thinks this nothing's ever going to happen. Nothing's ever going to come about it. Uh, he has no idea that she's in it for the personal gain. Look at verse 14. So she wove it tightly. Uh, with the, the tan uh, of the loom, and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he woke uh, from his sleep, and he pulled out the baton, uh, the baton and the web from the loom. Now, I find it interesting also, this guy's a heavy sleeper. <laughs> She's working on his head, all his hair, and he's just sleeping away. In verse 15, then she said to him, how can you say I love you? Boy, she's putting it on thick. How can you say I love you uh, when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass. It came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. Listen to the word vexed. He was cut down as wheat in the harvest. That's the term there. Samson became a, a traitor to himself. But most of all, listen to this, a traitor to God. A traitor to God. When you sin, you obviously sin against God. Listen to what one commentary said here. I really enjoyed it. May we adapt the sensible observation, the weakness of Samson's heart, and the whole of this history is yet more astonishing than the strength of his body. You know, God could care less of, of his supernatural strength. Who gave it to him? God did. But in a sense, he's mocking God now. In a sense, he's mocking God. And yet God should have taken him out. But you have to love. You have to love the patience of God. I mean, he called him from his mother's womb. You have to love that God knows that Samson's going to come back to him. And I think it's the same with us. I know each one of us at one time or another, we will fail God. And the worst thing that we can do is run from God. We need to run to God. And so many times we, we see people leave the fellowship and then we hear they're not going to church and then we try to call them back, try to encourage them. And, and bottom line, well, I'm embarrassed now. Why do you care 
what people are going to say. You should care what God's going to say. Imagine standing before judgment day, and God says, what do you say for yourself? Well, I was embarrassed to go back. That's not going to hold up water. God calls us to the place of repentance. And so this woman kept on, kept on, kept on, and then finally Samson begins to give in. In verse 17, uh, that he told her all his heart and said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. Listen, he was a Nazarite to God. He even shares that. From my mother's womb, if I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. How many times has he said that? He knows that. If any one of us ever leaves Christ, then we're going to become just like any other man. You're going to become just like any other woman. You have to serve the Lord through thick and thin. Trials are going to come our way, like it or not. We're not going to be able to shake them. But we need to trust God. Notice that he's become such a fool. And again, he's become entrapped by this woman. In verse 18, when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, and she said, come, come up once more. For he has told me all his heart. So uh, it's serious now. She could see it. He was ready and he gave her everything. And so the lords of the Philistines came upon uh, up to her and brought the money in their hand. They're ready. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man uh, and had, had him shave off the seven locks of his head, and then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. I had to ask this question for myself. Did she drug him with something that he fell asleep on, on you know, her knees? Or did God allow this? Okay, Samson, is this what you want? I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. I mean, somebody came in and and cut off the locks on his head. Seven of them. I'm thinking he should have woke up. But he is in her trance? I don't think so. Oh, she's taken over him, but the devil has got him. And now he's going to come against God because of what he's doing. Her objective, it's all about the money. Notice, they brought the money to her. In verse uh, 20, and she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And so he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Mark that down. It wasn't about his strength. It wasn't about the locks. It wasn't about the Nazarite vow. And yet that was a vow that was genuine. It's about God. Whatever ability you have, 
I, I love when our worship team comes up here and you guys can sing and, and, and play the instruments. You know, that's not my call. I can't. If I got a hold of those drums or one of the guitars, you guys will all leave. But this is what God's called me to do and to minister and to preach and to teach. And it's important to me. And I'm not going to take advantage of it. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I hope and pray you want to do what God wants you to do. Notice that it says here, but he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. It's not the hair, but that the Lord departed from him. I want you to mark the word Ichabod. There's a beautiful study if you've never done it. Go back on, on your own tonight. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, there's the story of, of the Ark of the Covenant being captured by the Philistines. And uh, we know that Eli's two sons, Hopne and Phinehas, were killed in the battle. They came to tell Eli the priest. He was sitting on a log, and when they told him, he fell back because his sons are dead, and he broke his neck. Now, one of the wives of the two sons of Hopne and Phinehas She's going to have a baby, and she does. And she named him Ichabod. The glory of the Lord has departed. I'm always concerned about our United States of America, where we are at with the Lord. I thank God for the church. The church is still here, and the Holy Spirit is still here. But what is going to happen when the rapture of the church takes place? I don't know the answer. But the glory of the Lord is going to depart. The Holy Spirit won't be active. Now we know that there's going to be the two witnesses. We know that there's going to be the 144,000. There's going to be great testimony during the time of the seven years of tribulation. But the church is gone. The church is harpazoed. The glory of the Lord has departed. It's a fascinating story uh, there in 1 Samuel chapter 4. And, and I mean, it, it, it affected Eli the priest so much, he fell over dead. His sons are gone. And then the wisdom that God spoke to uh, the wife of one of the, uh, the sons and uh, named that child Ichabod. Ichabod. I mean, if God is not welcome, why should he stick around? Think about it. Why should God stick around? We have to be very careful and pray for our country because the day is going to come. The day is going to come again. I, I, know, I know Scott's done a lot of teachings and prophecy, and a lot of you get into the word and the prophetic word, and we know that we do not see any mention of the United States of America. We don't see any mention. Could it be that we're so weakened because of the rapture of the church and a lot of key people that are gone? The best, you, you studied in the book of Ezekiel, the best that the United States is going to do during that time, if we're the young lions, they're going to send a letter. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? No power. No power. The glory of the Lord 
has departed. Look at verse 21. Uh, then the Philistines took him and put, him, uh, put his eyes out, and they brought him down to Gaza, and they bound him with, with bronze fetters, feathers, and then it says, and he became a grinder uh, at, in, in the prison. And so he's pushing this grinding mill, and that's the, the job of an ox, or that's the job of a, of a donkey or a mule. And here's God's man. He has no more eyes. His eyes are gone. And he has time to think. I was thinking of Paul the Apostle, the Saul of Tarsus, in Acts chapter 9. We know in the Damascus Road, the light that shone around about him, and he recognized it was the power of God. Is that you, Lord? And scales came upon him. And then he keeps going to Damascus. And there, there's a man by the name of Annas. And Annas takes care of him. And Annas is fearful, fearful of him. And so here's Samson. He has no more power. No more authority. Even if he has strength, it's useless without his eyes. You're going to see they're going to make fun of him. And they're going to poke at him. Look at verse 22. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Now, again, people assume that's where his power was. But his hair started to grow back, but that's not where his power's at. His power and his strength came from the Lord. His power and his strength came from the Lord. I see this also as we're going to study the conclusion of Samson. The grace of God, the God of second chance. Don't raise your hand, but how many times has God forgiven me? How many times has God forgiven you? How many times has God uh, been the, uh, the God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances? That, that's the, if I confess my sin, the Bible says, he is faithful and just to forgive me. I need to run to God, not run from God, and then say, well, I'll be embarrassed, as we shared earlier. Notice now, Samson dies with the Philistines. And you're going to see this Dagon. He's called the fish god, small g. He was the god of the Philistines. In verse 23, now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice. It says to Dagon, their god, small g again, and to rejoice. And they said, our god has delivered into our hands, Samson, our enemy. Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 5, we get a picture of this god, Dagon. And in a sense, he's half fish and half man. Interesting, when you go back again to the ten plagues that came upon Egypt, a lot of those plagues were the gods that they served. God says, you want your gods? I'll give you multiple of them. And so here they're worshiping Dagon. When the people saw him, verse 24, they praised their God, again, small g, for they said, our God has delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer of our land. Speaking of Samson, right? And the one who multiplied our dead. Vengeance. That's what they want. So it happened when their hearts were merry. Listen. And that they said, call for Samson now. And that he may perform for us. 
So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them. And they stationed him between the pillars. Now, I have to ask, is this a coincidence? Or is this a divine appointment? God's ha God has a purpose and a plan in your life, in my life, and here in the life of Samson. Samson's blown it big time. His eyes are gone now. His hair's growing back, but that's not where his strength came. Now they're going to make sport of him. You know, we don't know what he did, but if you've seen any of the movies, they had a bunch of these little people, and they were poking him and all, and all this and making fun of him. But the coincidence or divine appointment, they put him between the two pillars of this stadium, this place. And God's going to give him back his strength. Now, also, I was looking at this, and they kept praising their God, small g. And so the God of Samson says, you want to praise your God? Watch what's going to happen. Watch what's going to happen. And so verse 26, then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars uh, which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof, watching while Samson, Samson performed. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. Uh, they went round and round uh, with a grinding uh, mill before, but now he's there in their stage area. I mean, they had to have been mocking him. They had to have been jeering at him. And uh, his life is coming to an end. But he calls upon the Lord. Look at verse 28. Then Samson uh, called uh, to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Just this once, O God. O God, Jehovah God, that I may uh, with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. It took a while for Samson to come back to where he belonged. It took losing his eyesight. There's been times when I've, I've talked to people and they keep doing the things that they're doing and they wonder why there's no blessing and they wonder why everything's going wrong and I said, all you have to do is stop. All you have to do is stop and call out to the Lord and follow him. If not, your consequences are going to come. Consequences are going to take place. It took Samson his two eyes. In verse 29, and Samson uh, took hold of the two middle pillars of which supported the temple of Dagon, that's Adbad, and he braced himself against them, one on his right, one and the other one on his left. Then Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell, and the lords and all the people who were in it, so that the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. God took back the glory at the end, but it cost him. It cost him. And you know, I think that's what people worry about. Well, it's going to cost me. 
Well, you need to ask yourself, well, what did it cost Jesus? It cost him his life. What did it cost God the Father? He had to relinquish and give up his son. You know, we worry about little things. I've heard young people say, well, you know, I want the rapture of the church to come, but I also want to get married. Well, what if God says, I'm going to bring the rapture tomorrow. Do you want me to come or not? Or you want to wait? Maybe he'll leave you behind. Got to be careful. You got to be careful. Now, let's finish this off now. In verse 31, and his brothers and all his father's household came down and they took him, speaking about Samson, and they brought him up and they buried him between Zorah and Ethanol and the tomb of his father Manoah. Uh, he had judged Israel for 20 years. I love that testimony. Sometimes, and I put this in my notes for myself, maybe for you, sometimes it takes a lifetime. It takes a lifetime for us to finally figure out what God really has for me, what God really has for you. How many times, especially when we're going through what we're going through, whatever it is, and everybody's trial is just as hard as anybody else's. Well, you don't know what I'm going through. Well, you don't know what I'm going through. And then what's really been happening for me, when we have a trial and such, I, I look at Pastor Saeed. I said, Lord, how, how is this man doing it? I know he loves you. I know he trusts you. And then others. Why does it take a lifetime, listen, to find out that God loves me, that God loves you? Samson had to be brought down. God took down his pride. His faith is shattered. Uh, he's weak. He's stubborn, but he cries out to God. He knew that he had to cry out to God. I know you close your Bibles, but I have another scripture. Romans chapter 8. When I hear those zippers, I go, oh, I'll keep talking. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, uh, you know, when we talk about the flesh nature, and this was Samson, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, free from indwelling sin. And uh, you go to Romans chapter 7, and he's talking about the law, the law, the law. And now, you know, it's not about the law. It's about the grace of God. It's about his grace and his love and his mercy. The things that he cares for us. I'm just going to read through it real quick. In Romans chapter 8, look at verse 1 there. Uh, is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life is Christ. It's Christ Jesus uh, has made me free from the law of sin and death. I am set free. You are set free through Christ Jesus. We need to hang on to that. In verse 3, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, sinful man, on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus went all the way to the cross. It's interesting in the book of Hebrews, it talks about Jesus, the complete lamb. It talks about Jesus, our complete high priest. 
everything that we need is in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but we walk according to the Spirit. And if you've been a Christian long enough, you know when you're walking in the flesh. And if you know you're walking in the flesh, stop and take heed. That's the Spirit of the Lord speaking to you. That's the Spirit of the Lord saying, Bob, stop it. And we need to take heed. We need to take heed. Verse 5 goes on. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds to the things of the Spirit. I wish I could tell you that I'm constantly walking in the Spirit. No way. I mess up just like anybody else. But I strive to walk in the Spirit. Because the flesh is there. The temptations are there. You got that good angel on this shoulder. You got the bad angel on the other shoulder. And they're combating against each other. Oh, don't listen to him. Listen to me. You'll be okay. The enemy uses everything. He's got a, a big bag of tricks. Remember that. Notice now in verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Hey, I walked in the flesh too many years. So did you. And we know that the best thing is to walk in the spirit. The flesh is going to be there. God has set us free. Walk in the spirit, not carnally minded. In verse 7 and 8, he says, Because the carnal mind is enmity, enemy against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. I don't want to be the enemy of God. You don't want to be the enemy of God. But the carnal mind is the enemy of God. And don't dwell there. In verse 8, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. <laughs> Excuse me. Those in the flesh cannot please God. I'm going to give you two chapters. Genesis chapter 5, Enoch walked with God, God took him. He's always a picture of the type of the rapture of the church. And then it says in Hebrews chapter 11 that the testimony of Enoch, it pleased God. It pleased God. I hope and pray you want to please God. I want to please God. Samson at the end wanted to please God. Because the enemy's out there and he's going to take everything away from you. Notice verse 9. He says, but you are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. He is not his. And I got to share this with you. If and when you do sin, if and when you do falter, if and when you, you, know, you go astray and the conviction is so strong the Spirit of the Lord hasn't left you. And don't listen to the enemy. Oh, God's abandoned you. No, he hasn't. What's the promise of God? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And so I love what he's doing here at the conclusion. Notice verse 10. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life, uh, becomes of righteousness. And 
right living with God. It's the best way to translate righteousness. In verse 11, the conclusion, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, who has raised Christ from the dead, will also give him life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. God has set you free. God had set Samson free. But Samson was so quick to go back to the world. He was enticed by the woman. And he felt trapped to her. Uh, God gave him every opportunity. And so finally, okay, Samson, you're going to lose your eyesight. You're going to lose your eyesight. It hasn't happened for a while, but every now and then when I used to go up to the uh, ICU and get an opportunity to share with somebody, and they asked for me to go and pray for them. And they haven't seen them in church. I haven't seen them for a while. And then they say, I know why I'm here. God has gotten my attention. I don't want to be in that spot where I finally end up in the hospital bed. I end up in a crash scene, whatever it might be. And it's because I've been disobedient to God. Are you saying that God chastens? The Bible says he chastens those that he loves. Will he chase us that drastic? He took Samson's eyes. He was disobedient. He was disobedient. And so we need to learn from the life of Samson. And we need to be obedient to what uh, we just read in Romans. There's so much there. I just wanted to read through it real quick. It's not about the law. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And we need to learn to walk in the Spirit. You say, Pastor Bob, it's hard. I never said it would be easy. But with God's help, we can do it. With God's help, we can do it. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Uh, Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we humbly come before you, Lord. And we pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, as those that uh, will get the CD later. And when it finally gets on the radio also, Lord, and those listening in live stream, that you would just speak to our hearts. If any of us are struggling in that area of the flesh and listening uh, to the voice of the flesh as, as Samson did, Lord, that we would repent and that we would get back into the fellowship. We would get back in, in into the faith. We get back into the spirit of the Lord and to walk in the spirit. So, Father, bless your people as we come, Lord. And, Lord, we come to hear from you. We desire to be ministered to by you. Lord, you said that the Holy Spirit would lead us and to guide us into all truth. We desperately need your spirit, Lord. And again, Father, we ask you for Joe. We ask you for a healing touch upon him, Lord. And so, Father, go before us now. In your name, we do pray. Amen.